One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm your co-host Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I'm your co-host Spencer, pronouns they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy Pod. We're a bi-weekly interview show bringing you new perspectives on video game culture and current events while centering the relationships queer folks, trans folks, people of color, disabled folks, and other marginalized players have with games. On Pixel Therapy Pod, we believe that video games can serve as tools for understanding ourselves, each other, and the world around us. Find out more on pixeltherapypod.com or follow us on social media at Pixel Therapy Pod. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Where we develop and produce the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And today we are breaking out the finger guns and we are going to be jumping in to Cuphead. Yes, we are going back to that 30s style, you know, Mickey Mouse-esque cartoons. Mm -hmm. Taking the, you know, the essence and the idea of it. Getting rid of the racist part of it. Yes. And bringing you more of just this lovely, lighthearted, murdery game about selling your soul <laughs> to the devil. It's literally like on the surface, this game is really cute and appealing. Mm -hmm. And then you actually get down into it and you're like, oh, this is very dark. Like, they, like if you watch some of the old cartoons that we're going to be talking about, because uh, I did that, like researching it, I was like, some of these are kind of like... Really dark. Well, it's the very Grimm's fairy tale idea of it, mm -hmm. of just being, hey, we're not going to sugarcoat it. This is what happens when you're a mermaid or you're a wolf. Yeah. <laughs> this it, is it, what's going to happen. These are, you know, depression era cartoons mm -hmm. and everything like that. And and it's it's definitely very interesting. As I said, like, it's a it's a cute game, but it's kind of scary at the same time because you are you are dealing with the devil himself. You are. And so Cuphead, as we're talking about, is a run and gun 2D boss rush platformer. Created by Studio MDHR, released September 29th, 2017. The inventive game is animated and hand-drawn in the style of 1930s cartoons. Mm -hmm. The player takes on the role as Cuphead, who has made a deal with the devil to collect the souls of each of his debtors in exchange for his own. Mm -hmm. So he's doing some dirty work. He's doing what he's got to do. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yeah, so there's a little bit of a crossover. Dirty work, doing what you got to do. Not a good guy. Not not a good guy, you might say. The, the <laughs> devil, historically, typically not the coolest guy around. <laughs> or some might say, 
the coolest. Yeah, you know what? This is a misrepresentation of the devil, I will say. Listen, throw those horns up. Give me some metal music. We're good. (laughs) But the story of Studio MDHR is pretty interesting itself. So Studio MDHR was founded by brothers Chad and Jared Moldenhauer. Growing up, the two always wondered what it would be like if they could create video games of their own. They would play games together and discuss what could be done to improve those games. Though they worked on some prototypes for games like Grandma's Pickens, they felt that they just didn't have enough resources to create anything worthwhile. What are you talking about, man? Grandma Pickens? That's (laughs) that's my jam. (laughs) So in 2000, the two saw that Microsoft was putting together an indie game development program for the original Xbox. So the two would start working on several titles, none of which did see the light of day, however. So yeah, Xbox is starting up with the Xbox Live Arcade that's going to be built, Mm -hmm, and they're starting mm -hmm. to build studios around that. And Microsoft and Xbox have been pretty on top of really pushing that indie spotlight. Yes. You know, they're the ones that helped to kind of bring Braid around and mm-hmm. to bring Super Meat Boy to the audiences. Granted, they didn't have a hand in the development of it, but as far as the outreach and audience reach, mm-hmm. that's what yeah. they're doing with it. Yeah, and it's still kind of just the Wild West of, like, bringing indie games to the spotlight. Which, around this time, weren't truly a thing. No, 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 no. You know, you you didn't have the tech up until this point to be able to sit in, you know, your your house to create an indie title mm-hmm. that could reach a mass audience. Yeah, before that it was just Tetris. And then <laughs> afterwards it was just Tetris <laughs> and then everything else came later. Yeah, yeah, Tetris was that first like indie game and everyone else was like well, we can't beat that. Next, <laughs> Dr. Mario it is. <laughs> With a failed games creation past behind them, Chad went to start a marketing agency and Jared worked for his father's construction company. The brothers would notice the rise of indie games in 2010, with titles being developed by smaller teams, specifically Braid and Super Meat Boy. As we said, so these were titles that started usually with one person, then built a team out to Mm -hmm. slowly flesh it out. Very interesting documentary out there that needs to be checked out about just really what goes into an indie game and why you should have a team. Yes, and why you should respect one-man teams. Yes. They found themselves having the same aspirations for their youth of creating their own video games. They would start Studio MDHR, Moldenhauer for short, with just Chad and Jared working on prototypes of a 3D side-scrolling game. The brothers at the time were still working their full-time jobs while building out what would be the cartoony Cuphead. So I'm now going to name your studio. Uh, obviously, last name Reiners. R and let's just do S. R and S. Really neat studio. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about you? K N L. Cool, neat learning because <laughs> that's what we do here <laughs> cool neat learning and you know we're cool because it's cool with a k <laughs> so that's how you know we're gonna make you some fun math games on flash uh of course we're gonna get some jump start we're gonna start jump start up against me jump start jump start <laughs> jump starting the jump start mm-hmm, mm-hmm. top quality quality things out here <laughs> but let's continue on let's talk about really what it took to start cuphead and what the brothers had to go through yes So Chad and Jared would conceptualize what would become Cuphead as early as 2010, though production for it really didn't start until mid-early 2013. Mm -hmm. Pre-production for the game was spread out in the beginning of development, with the brothers talking on the phone once a week to work on the game. They wanted a boss-heavy game with the run-and-gun characteristics peppered in throughout it. So they, they really took this idea of just... 
a lot of bosses and kind of, you know, pew-pews that will allow for quick gameplay, but hard gameplay. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at the overall scope of the game, they originally settled on eight bosses, replicating Final Fantasy VII's environment with the game taking place in a grade school and each level representing a year there. So, you know, first grade, second grade, third Mm -hmm. grade, and so on. The brothers agreed that every boss needed to feel like a final boss. They were also inspired by co-op games like Mario, since they grew up, you know, playing together and yes, yes. working together in a way, but adding in that run and gun element of it, as well as platforming. Yeah. Other inspirations for Cuphead included games like Street Fighter 3, Mega Man, Contra, Metal Slugs, Thunder Force, Hellfire, Rampage, and Gunstar Heroes. So you can really see what these guys played. Yeah, and they bring up Contra a lot, that series. they that I think that would probably be... Just from what I've read, the biggest one. I would say even in difficulty-wise, I don't know if you've ever played Contra on either Mm-mm. an arcade cabinet. Mm-mm. It's a bear. Yes, I can I can. I will say that it's, it's one of those games where, like all games in that era that were developed more to make you keep kind of restarting and building and mm-hmm. making it hard, man, what a series. <laughs> but while working on the game, the studio applied for a grant from the Canada Media Fund, who have funded over 300 video games. They were turned down for the grant... But after the success of Cuphead, the CMF stated that, hey, next time you're here, just ask us for you know a grant and you've got it. Yeah, like it's one of those things that's like, well, now that you're popular, we can hang out, I guess. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> you know, hopefully that is an encouragement too, because I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, you know, any small indie projects or YouTubers that have come out of Canada that's a major thing. Like, there's a Canadian fund behind it, mm-hmm. and they really want to push their media and their creatives. So that's a really cool, you know, thing that has come out of this that hopefully they can take advantage of and slap the Canadian seal on <laughs> and give us, you know, bull mouth. <laughs> their, their sequel. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, now that they have kind of this overall concept of what the game's going to be, animating is where... Th- this is my favorite part of learning about this game. Yeah, because it was it was a twofold thing that they kind of went back and forth on. Yeah. Now, as they were figuring out the specifics about the game, the joke would always come up about making the game resemble a 1930s rubber hose cartoon. I never realized they were called that, but it makes sense. Yeah, it's the characters like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah. So 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 just walk to your friend and say, "You ever watch any whoa, 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 whoa when you were younger? <laughs> They're great." Now the issue was is that neither of the brothers could animate. After showing their friends the old-timey cartoon style, everyone agreed that they should go with it. Now Chad had to teach himself how to animate, which he had jokingly stated led him to cry. Uh, I'm going to say, in honesty, let's take that joking out because you know he cried at this. <laughs> Animation, as you know, is a is insane. Yeah, now imagine doing a drawing all day. We're going to talk more about it, which is so crazy. Now, at first, they were creating the animation digitally, but it didn't feel right or give them that iconic 1930s look they really wanted. They decided to try hand animation, and Chad was also reading Richard Williams, the animator's survival kit for inspiration, and just some kind of tips and pointers. Yeah, it basically states kind of what you have to do to kind of keep sane with it, but to keep building your craft. Mm -hmm. How do you streamline it? How do you actually flesh it out? Yes. So it, you know. Props to him. He's doing what he can. Yeah, he's actually researching into it, not just like, how to, cool, let's do it. (laughs) Yeah. All animation in the game is hand-drawn, with the backgrounds created from watercolor paintings. Now, at one point in development, 
over 6,000 unique raindrops were drawn for one area of the game. Mm -hmm. So we're already seeing the scope of rain alone. They also created real-life models that would be placed in the background for some areas, like the spinning tower in the Grim Matchstick Battle. So I remember watching that, and I was like, that's that's okay, so that's not hand-drawn, that's a... That's computer animation. Mm -hmm. But to find out what they did is they filmed that tower spinning and then cut back the frame rate and picked like eight or nine frames that they wanted and did that. And they do that a lot as well because even the book at the beginning of the game was a book they made for the intro and was just a live action video of artist Ali Morby flipping through the pages. Funny enough, I actually learned this fact in a speed run. Oh, okay. It was great. It was, it was during AGDQ or AGD, Awesome Games Done Quick, mm-hmm. or Games Done Quick, GDQ, and it was just kind of a cool thing because he's flying by it and being like, yeah, that's all like real life. It's, it's animation over this video part that's of it mm-hmm. while you're doing these boss battles or while you're doing these things because there's, those, like you said, the tower, the book, just so many different things in there that make up a background segment that's real video with animation on top of it. Mm-hmm. Such a neat concept to it that you... Hands down, you don't see anymore. No, absolutely not. It's a, such a rare art form. And it's just such a painstaking art form. Mm-hmm. I mean, having to go through and flip back and forth, make sure you drew that arm right, make sure it's going up the correct amount in those set amount of frames that you're doing. Yeah. And that jump to the next frame wasn't too drastic, mm-hmm. so it looks unnatural. It's it's But still making sure you like take full advantage of the frame so it's not slow motion. Yeah. Hand animation, My all of my hats, I had 10 hats on, all 10 of those <laughs> fully off for you. That's how, that's how much I say it's good. Yeah, and, and creating these characters they had to animate was kind of a task itself. Well, it was because after many iterations and, you know, researching through old cartoons, Chad Moldenhauer would sketch Cuphead and Mugman. So Mugman is the second player, the mm-hmm. Luigi to the Mario of yes, this. Yes, And this was all inspired by the Silly Symphonies skeleton dance cartoon, basically your sweet... Sweet skeleton dance. <laughs> Your sweet doot doot. And the China Shop. Mm, done, done by Silly Symphonies as well. Mm-hmm. So they were they were kind of like one of the more iconic studios back in the day making those cartoons. Yes. And, and, and a lot of those, again, the Silly Symphony, were more based on a symphonic, a musical tone that mm-hmm. went with these, making this more of... Music video? Music video. Yeah, it's like a music video. <laughs> a vintage music video yeah. with cartoons. A VM, some might say. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so, so you had these going, and they, they finally nailed down Cuphead's look after watching a Japanese propaganda film with Mickey Mouse attacking Japan. In the video, there was a character with a head for a cup, which was the main inspiration for Cuphead's iconic look. So taking those ideas, and a lot of these bosses even, mm-hmm. were taken 90% from these cartoons with a 10% flair to it. Yeah, it's it's very much so product of the time. Mm-hmm. But Cuphead was not the first choice. Over 150 different designs were created, and the game almost featured the propagandist being a Kappa, which is not the thing from Twitch, but <laughs> a Japanese folklore a yokai demon or imp that looks like a turtle. Uh, so also, I think Animal Crossing, his name's Kappa as well. It's kind of like that turtle guy. Don't isn't it in the lore they like steal children? I think most of these like demons do. <laughs> it's it, yeah, the story of these things are like terrifying. They're the, like these ugly creatures. Yeah, because yokai also are typically like ferry boatmen, mm. so they can kind of like bring them on the boat, take them away. Idea of it, 
it's all terrifying. And I love it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so so that would have been the inspiration for it, but they, they dialed that back and brought it to more of the, again, that kind of rubber hose cartoon, Mickey Mouse-esque, keeping it lighthearted for this very demanding and serious topic Mm -hmm. of death instruction, deals with the devils, (laughs) you know, I guess basically a 1930s cartoon. (laughs) Essentially, yeah. Pretty much what happened with it. It took a lot. It takes a lot, as as we've both talked about, to do any of this animation. Mm -hmm. And so they they had to bring some people in. They had to start figuring out who can we bring in to help with us because we can't do this alone. Yeah, and like almost unknowingly bringing people in at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this all started with Chad's wife, Maya, who grew up drawing and sketching in her free time. She never tried to pursue art in her professional life, though. Instead, landing a career in IT and eventually leading a team building web-based financial applications. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more different than sketching and writing, essentially. Yeah, so, so, you know, changing it up, kind of taking that, okay, I'll I'll go down a career path in IT, it's secure, I'll do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, But fortunately, she's a change of heart. Mm, Exactly. In 2014, while inking the game, Maya saw Chad working on animations and wanted to give it a try herself. She instantly outperformed Chad's inking skills and was brought into the project as a lead animator. She never had any animation experience before Cuphead, but used her talents as best as she could. I mean, that, that goes back to show you, you, you said that, that innate talent for art, and especially mm-hmm. s- sketching and drawing. A steady hand. Steady hand. It just, it just brings it back in. You're like, oh, I just have to sketch this, you know, 24 times or 12 times. Mm-hmm. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I love she outperformed him. He's like, he's probably just like put her in the chair and is like, go. He's got like a, a, a Charlie Day board of just like <laughs> different like tactics to do stuff. He's just staring at it and she just comes in and just like sketches it up. Like, here you go. Best of luck. <laughs> Maya eventually found herself as a producer for the game when she noticed that deadlines were not being met by the brothers. She sought to change it and started streamlining the pace of the game's development, which I think they needed. Dude, that is that is such a, like, coming in and be like, no, what are you guys doing? It's like, taking over brothers who are just like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just having a fun time with this project. And you have to have someone come in that can say, dude, what are you, you got to hit deadlines. Yeah, you, you can't just say, we'll try to get it done. Like, no. Get it done. You got to have some business sense with it. And so she, you know, I don't think she gets enough credit at times for what she's done. I mean, she mm-hmm. has inked this game, animated this game, and really kept it on track. I mean, this game, <laughs> yeah. if she wasn't there, it may have never been done, or it's going to be released in 2077. Yeah, we, we'd, we'd still just be, like, speculating about yeah. it, essentially. Hey, guys, we finally finished Cuphead, but, but just the character design, not the game. <laughs> we just figured out who Cuphead's going to be. The studio was working on a light box that Chad made himself. Now, each animation cell they created was scanned on an old scanner before they decided to cave in and bought a $300 digital scanner from Best Buy. I like this grassroots approach that they're building everything at first. And, like, we have this old scanner from the 90s that's going to take 20 minutes to scan all this. Let's do that. And then they're like, all right, let's actually buy something nice. You know, because at first they're trying it out and saying, okay, let's just build a light box because we don't want to have to spend, you know, a couple hundred on a nice table or something. We'll just hand animate there and Mm -hmm. because they're still learning. They don't know if they're going to actually really, really jump into this. Mm -hmm. You don't want to put the expenses right away. Exactly. Because you don't want a light table now in your apartment sitting there. (laughs) Like, remember when I used that for three days and then we stopped making that game? (laughs) I think everyone has that in their apartment and impulse buy that they're like, I regret that. This is my entire house. <laughs> my house was an impulse buy. <laughs> what are we talking about here? And you're like, I never use it now. I never use my house. I'm outside <laughs> all the time. I sleep under the deck. 
Now, once a new hand-drawn frame was uploaded, the colors were added digitally. They considered doing the coloring by hand, but it looked no different than the digital versions, so they decided to save themselves some time. Like, this project probably would have been double the time. Yes. And, and I appreciate animated. that they, you know, they looked back and forth and said, honestly, there's not much difference in it, mm-hmm. especially because we're putting this on a medium that's fully digital. It's not going through film. It's going through bytes and bits. Mm-hmm. So if, if we do this, there's not going to be too much difference as far as the cells go. So let's streamline it. Let's make it work. Yeah. The game took so long to create, however, due to the sheer amount of hand-drawn animations. In Cuphead, there are over 50,000 hand-drawn frames that were created on 12 or 16 field animation paper. Single animations could take anywhere from 32 to 100 frames, and boss battles could contain up to 800 to 1,400 frames. Now, think back. If you've ever played Cuphead, you know those boss fights, super intricate, Mm -hmm. multiple stages. You know, they all have that kind of stasis or basically like standing animation, if you want to call that. Where, where they're, they're of... just like slowly moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone does in that So game. yeah, everyone has it. So you have those along with the attacks, getting hit, shifting, changing mm-hmm. up, being top, bottom. And it's amazing what has gone through with that because you, you can tell it feels hand animated and old, but you can't tell any imperfections, mm-hmm. any frame they missed. It's yeah, insane. It's, it's seamless. And like after you learn this stuff, just going back and seeing, you start to appreciate every little animation, everything that looks different mm-hmm. after a frame. It's it's You appreciate it a lot more. Well, yeah, because Cuphead and Mugman alone had about 1,200 frames themselves. That's incredible. Yeah, and the backgrounds, as we had talked about, they took their time as well. And each watercolored background took around a week up to a month to create. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. Because, again, it's hand-painted watercolor that needs to match the style of what they were doing back in the 1930s mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, you, you have to match that. And you have to match, you know, does it change the feel of it? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, is it stormy, as we had talked about? Is it bright? Is it desert? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, because with Cuphead, you go to different areas. You're in the sky. You're down below. It's frozen. You're in the casino eventually. So mm-hmm. how mm-hmm. do you animate those backgrounds? How do you bring in real-world elements? How do you make it feel... Because it's tough. They're dealing with, how do you make a period piece feel modern? Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's that's what they're working with. And the other thing they really had to work with was balancing the difficulty. I mean, we knew from day one, boss battles, run and gun. Mm -hmm. But how do you put that on the Dark Souls scale? Which which now Souls is is the way you grade your games on difficulty. (laughs) Is it it Dark Souls hard or just... Not hard, essentially. Yeah, or is, is it Grandma's Bits hard or whatever their first game was <laughs> called? Grandma's Pickens. Is it, is it Granny Pickens hard or is Dark Souls hard? That's going to be the new scale. <laughs> so we're going to use that. That's how we're comparing it. Yeah, because we know, we know that Cuphead's difficulty is pretty infamous. The studio knew what they were doing, and a lot of playtesters would tell them outright, the game was too hard. There's no grannies in this. <laughs> Just Dark Souls. <laughs> the studio felt that this was somewhat the point of the game, though. You know, they, they had the conversation back and forth with these play testers, which a lot of them were family friends or just some random people they knew within an industry mm-hmm. testing it out and saying, I can't do this. It's like, well, that's that's a purpose. This isn't, this isn't a Mario. It's a niche game. It's a niche game that is a very niche art style that's bringing this all together. 
And so they created it to reflect, as we had said, with Contra and with all those other period piece Super Nintendo games, Mm -hmm. that difficulty, that difficulty of growing up and getting game overs, getting game overs, you know, going three steps further, game over, but you're progressing. Yes, yes. And it wasn't, you know, exactly supposed to be as difficult as those were or as painstakingly quarter munching as those would have been different well it's it's difficulty or hard is such a weird word to bring up in gaming because for dark souls for example they never said they didn't say this game is hard they say it's difficult so it can be more rewarding when you get past the point that's yes they're not saying it's hard they just want it to be more rewarding that's well, how they phrase well it. they did because they brought it up they said it's about 97 percent more granny pickens at times <laughs> <laughs> and they, they brought that up over and over in interviews. It was weird. <laughs> I don't know why Dark Souls knew about that at the time, but it is. If you've ever played Dark Souls, it's an insanely tough game, especially if you just jump in blind and yeah. you're like, oh, cool, a skeleton. Let me fight it. I'm dead. Swack, 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 swack. Yeah. And, and it is rewarding. It, it's so fun, too, as you progress through because you knew that boss that you fought the first time, you get pretty much two-shot now with your gear mm-hmm. and the magic that you've learned. Yes. And so Cuphead gives that feel as you get you know, more guns or you get to know how to control Cuphead and whether you're in a plane or, or car or driving or you're just Cuphead themselves, how can you use that to your advantage mm-hmm. to make it difficult, but again, different and rewarding? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and once I started balancing the game and kind of getting the difficulty down, this is where the attention of the game grew and the scope of the game grew as well. It did because the studio did not have a lot of money to spend on focus groups. So this is where that scope is kind of growing in. It's like, how do we narrow this down and figure out what we're even doing with it? Mm -hmm. So they had to rely on watching journalists play their game to adjust the difficulty from there. To further improve adjusting that difficulty, they would invite old friends to come test the game. Some outside perspectives were needed as well regarding the difficulty. So people who did not play video games were also invited to play test this game. So they could just laugh at them when they made it two <laughs> steps and died. Yeah. So this is, again, going back to talk about bringing family friends in, bringing mm-hmm. people in the industry mm-hmm. in. You want to get that scope because this is not a game for everyone, but you need everyone to test it mm-hmm. to narrow down. Yes. E- even just a market research idea of it. Even just bringing in, okay, this is obviously for, I don't know, let's say 18 to 24-year-old uh, quick twitchy finger people who can do this or this is for you know the the 20 to 40s market it's more of a mature idea of it so bringing in that focus group and doing it intelligently especially when you don't have a budget when you don't have the resources that a triple a or microsoft sony has to put towards these Mm -hmm. research ideas you have to do what you can and i think this was probably the best way to do it but you know they did and you know now that they have the difficulty or the the quote unquote challenge down to what they want it to be, yeah, kind of kind of iron sight in on what they needed, what they're going for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is around the time where attention for the game really started growing, and the scope of the overall game grew exponentially. This is when you're playing Game Dev Tycoon, and the game's like, hey, you made enough money. You want to open up that bigger place? <laughs> and that's what we're doing here. The Cuphead E3 2015 trailer would generate over 2.9 million views online. The brothers were blown away by the response for the hype of this game. They decided that they could start working on Cuphead full time, but not without remortgaging their homes first, which is a 
to to take that leap to be like we need to do this full time let's remortgage our houses and now have no income yeah i mean to to leave marketing to leave you know working with your dad and mm-hmm. and obviously these are risks that can be slightly mitigated but refi on your house you're you're putting all your cupheads your cuphead cards to the <laughs> devil at this point you're you are selling your soul to get these souls sold yeah try and say that three times fast no thank you <laughs> They decided the game would no longer revolve around you only battling bosses. You know, though they tripled the amount of bosses that were going to be in the game, they decided to add platforming levels as well, Mm -hmm. or even before you get to the boss. Because it was mostly, as far as we could tell, the platforming that was already in it was just on the boss fights. Yeah, you just kind of like go through something really, really quick. And then you're at the boss, mm-hmm. essentially. Now they're like, let's add some enemies in between there and actually like spice things up and make the world a little bigger. And it, and it works because you have you, – if you want the players to stay around and I think feel the environment, feel the reason you made these backgrounds, mm-hmm. make some enemies that, that make that feel that way, make it a level that at least draws you in and saturates you within that environment to feel it. Absolutely. It's hard to describe, but if you've played a game like that, you understand when you feel an environment. Red Dead 2, for example, it slows your pace. It makes you go through these areas in your horse, and it sucks you into that environment. Mm -hmm. And it's so memorable. So that's really what they needed to do. Absolutely. As the scope of the game grew, so did the workload. The game could not be developed by three people anymore. Studio MDHR would bring in family members to help with the game, as well as outside artists and developers. Originally, they thought about opening a studio in Toronto to house Studio MDHR. Ultimately, they decided that they weren't going to do this due to two factors. First, hand animators were few and far between, and they couldn't find any near them. I don't think they could find any in Canada for the most part. Like, they had to, like, okay, this isn't just a thing you can, like, go down a local art shop no, and find is, someone. This is a dying art. <laughs> I mean, this is like essentially, this yeah. is like trying to find, like, a blacksmith right now and be like, yeah, we should, like, 17 blacksmiths right now. And it's like, <laughs> that's a very specialized thing. <laughs> they would go on YouTube to find artists posting their hand-drawn animations and hire all the ones that they felt would work best with their vision of Cuphead. Mm-hmm. The onboarding process was not easy as it was done remotely. And there was not a style like this game at the time. And this is where... You know, now we've seen recently that work from home is a lot more common sure. and and remote work, but this wasn't as common at the time. So there's kind of like a new experience for a lot of them. Well, and most of these, you want to get it together and really get those creative visions going. You know, remote work's always been a thing, but not as prevalent in today's era. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to form a studio and bring this together, it's also that hype thing of like, yeah, we're going to have a studio. All the artists will be here. The devs will be working over here. We'll have one of those cool coffee bars that everyone talks about. So a lot of that builds up when you're wanting to create a studio and create an environment. But when you start looking around and saying, okay, we have a guy in uh, Seattle. We have someone in Texas. We have someone over in England. We obviously can't bring everyone together and pay Mm. their move and pay all this stuff. So how are we going to go about this? We got to find some, you know, uh, Zoom calls. We're going to have to coordinate everything that's going to happen at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely was kind of a rocky start. At well, first. that's that's crazy too because Zoom wasn't around then. So that was they, were <laughs> they like, invented Zoom. We got to have Zoom calls. Everyone, like, what <laughs> Zoom calls? I'm at Skype. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they had they had to have you know video calls, chats basically slacks, things like that, mm-hmm. to, to really get this going as, as we're all kind of working in this environment. Mm-hmm. And, and But how do you do it with animators? How do you do it with developers to get on the same page? Absolutely. 
you know, with this, though, animators had the freedom to work their own hours, you know, without being bogged down for a typical nine to five work mm-hmm. day. So now it's like, OK, I can wake up at 10 or 11 and work to like eight or nine at night, which, uh, you know, there, there's that whole argument. Why not let people do that? Just let the work get done. Yeah, the work gets done, it gets done. And especially when it comes to creatives, we're, we're picky bunches. We're, we're picky. We like to sleep in. You know, we like to work in our jammies. You love to sleep in. I love to get up very early, <laughs> but I don't like working. <laughs> <laughs> you just like cleaning the house and functioning. Yes, I like being functioning. <laughs> no, it, it allows it to because sometimes you get those, those weird creative bursts at mm-hmm. midnight. Yes. And it's like, okay, I'm going to work four hours, midnight to four. That's my creative burst. Let's get this rolling. I mean, yeah, like late at night is when this podcast gets done, mm-hmm. essentially, for research. But, you know, we, we had talked about the, the first reason that they didn't start a studio was because they were finding all these animators. The second reason was because commercial real estate in Toronto was extremely expensive and it just wasn't worth the cost. Essentially. It just, there was no point, especially they didn't have the money to start a studio, pay God knows how much, a couple grand and then fly, as you said, all these people in like, it just wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. You're basically taking those remortgages to just spend it immediately Mm -hmm. on just another place to go. Yeah. Chad and Maya would struggle with work-life balance. During development, Maya would give birth twice. Though she planned on taking time off after her second child was born, it lasted only three hours before she started working again, inking as much as possible while her children were sleeping. Like, that's dedication. Again, this game would not have been done without Maya and just, it goes to show you too, like, moms are just the best. Yeah, because she's like, I'm going to take a break. And then her kid fell asleep, and she's like, I'm kind of bored. Yeah. <laughs> Back to work. Shows you how much goes into it. So, I mean, shout-outs to the moms. Shout-outs to Maya. It's, again, game is beautiful. It's so crazy what these people have sacrificed to do this. Again, mm-hmm. look at any of the other indie devs and their mentality they've sacrificed, money mm-hmm. they've sacrificed, family they've sacrificed to the gods. <laughs> to get these games done. <laughs> uh, just what it really takes. It's mm-hmm. it's a passion project that involves 110% of your passion and life. And luckily, you know, we're seeing a huge success story out of this. Yeah. But on the unsuccessful side, unfortunately, the game was delayed several times. The studio felt that they needed to deliver a quality game, which they did, but... It meant that they were fine, you know, running these setbacks to do so, to make sure that everything was perfect. Mm -hmm. One change that did delay the game was setting the animation or changing the animation from 12 frames per second to be animated at 24 frames per second to make the game more fluid like those original 1930s cartoons. So, yeah, so bringing it up, making it less choppy or sticky. There's plenty of ways you can talk about this animation style when you have a 12 mm-hmm. frame to a 24. Uh, you know, an example with that is in uh, Spider-Man Enter the Spider-Verse. You know, you have Miles Morales' character actually being animated at lesser frames mm-hmm. than Peter Parker's character. Uh, just to show, one, such a cool creative idea that's actually kind of hard to see, but if you slow it down and you break it down, you can see it. Mm-hmm. But such a cool stylistic change I believe he was animated at 12. He's 12 and then... And then then once he becomes Spider-Man, like becomes, you know, Miles as Spider-Man, he gets up to every other character at that 24. Yeah, which in the new Miles Morales game, Mm -hmm. the suit that you wear will change it to 12 frames per second. So going from 60 to 12 is actually a jarring difference, but it's a cool detail. It's, It's an amazing detail. So 
So think of this. It was Miles Morales first, and now it's Peter Parker, <laughs> if you want to think of how that works in, in, in the way that they did it. Yeah. Uh, so as far as game optimization, MDHR runs Cuphead at 60 frames per second to give the best gaming experience. And you, you had to explain this to me. I, I, I had to ask you about this. So it's animated at 24. It was at 12. It's at 24. It runs at 60. Giving that kind of buttery smooth, which I keep using. It's, it's a great term. For just slick, delicious toast. It makes me but hungry. Also, but also about just like the smoothness of the frame. So it upreses it to just get a more fluid movement. That's yeah. Alex saying it. That is a terrible description of it. There are much better descriptions online of what that is. And, you know, consoles going from 30 to 60, PC, you know, going to like 120, 240 on some things, you know, or uncapped is, is another one that, that frames have yeah. with it. So it's just bringing it to the the modern feel mm-hmm. is the best way to describe that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But after being delayed almost every year since 2014, the studio needed to finally release the game. Again, this is where those deadlines come in. Yeah. It might be 2077, but it was actually <laughs> in 2017, which was going to be the year, but they would need some help. They would partner with Studio Illogica, During the last eight months of development, the studio would help MDHR with testing, development, support, anything that needed to to bring those polishing touches. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they were the the ones basically bringing over the shoe shine box and getting that shoe, getting that spit shine going, (laughs) making sure there was a product that, you know, people would like and dealing with all of those nuances that a new dev doesn't know. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you do bug support? How do you do you know, testing and things like that. So they were pretty crucial in getting this out the door. The game was developed by 15 people and about a third of which were family and took seven years to develop with 10 Illogica employees helping during the last eight month stretch, as you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. At one point in development, Jared was working 33 hours in a row. Throughout development, the Moldenhauer family was extremely supportive of Chad and Jared's work with their own father telling them that he thinks the game will sell 480 million copies. It's on the way there. <laughs> Studio MDHR studied cartoons such as The Old Mill, Spooky Skeleton Song, The Mad Doctor, Swing You Sinners, Popeye, Minnie the Moocher. Minnie the Moocher, that is a hilarious name. Just side tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Bimbo. <laughs> and From Hell's Bells, all during development to engrave the 1930s cartoon style into their brains. And to get that spooky, scary skeleton song in their head, (laughs) because that is a tasty jam. (laughs) One year after the game would launch, an update for it would be released with decreased load times, new animations, and would be localized for international audiences. Mm -hmm. This meant that the studio had to do extensive research, not only translating the game itself, but also researching typography from each country that was used during the 1930s, since all the type in the game was done by hand, which, my God, the workload does not stop. No, and and again, a small nuance, a small thing. They could have just kept... The, you know, old American 1930s thing for everything and then, you know, brought Mm -hmm, in characters mm -hmm. for certain regions. But they actually researched that and even going as far as 
when they're porting over to either different Asian countries that they're actually using character sets and types of that time as well. Yeah, it's incredible. They would work with calligraphers Kasuki Chiba and Shayuan Shira for the Asian ports of the game. Mm-hmm. Now, even though fans left and right wanted the game on the PS4, Studio MDHR would state multiple times the game was never coming to the PS4. Even though the game was ported to the Nintendo Switch in 2019, so PS4 fans were really kind of just left in the dust. Like, are you kidding me? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. However... The game was released on the PS4 in July 2020 via a stop-motion announcement inspired by the 1933 short The Peanut Vendor, which is a terrifying video. (laughs) I almost don't recommend watching it, which I think it's fitting. They use a stop-motion video, essentially, to do it, which makes me think they're probably going to do a stop-motion game eventually. I like that for Jesse, his two scary things, Hellblade and the peanut vendor. (laughs) Those are his two (laughs) scary moments right now. Microsoft was rather supportive with bringing the game to PS4 because, you know, this game was originally just going to be a uh, a Microsoft title. Mm -hmm. With the release of the PS4 version, the Xbox version would get a free update that included a digital art gallery, behind-the-scenes commentary features, and a playable soundtrack. Yeah, so so they wanted to make sure that they rewarded those on their home console, if you want to say that, Mm -hmm. with a free update. Because for some reason, there's still console war superiority at times. Like, why did they get it? We were only supposed to have it. It's like, okay, here's free stuff. <laughs> Shut up, nerd. You happy now? We're going to take care of this for you. Mm. So, no, it's 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 cool that they did this. And, you know, my favorite titles to play nowadays are these indie titles that are passion projects. That they yes. are like, hey, let's give you all the notes of how we did it. Let's give you the soundtrack. Like, like play through it. We love this. We put so much into it. We want you to enjoy every single aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that they did that. Yeah. One thing that we talked about earlier, not having the budget, but really doing more of, I don't know, grassroots in a way. Guerrilla marketing. Guerrilla marketing, what they can which do. Which I guess is YouTube, essentially. Yeah, especially in 2013, which was when Studio MDHR created their YouTube channel with the trailer for Cuphead, advertising it as a well, 2014 release. <laughs> Didn't work out that way. <laughs> yeah. The same year, Microsoft's ID at Xbox, which is independent developers at Xbox. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's actually a program that Microsoft started allowing independent video game developers to self-publish for Windows and Xbox One at the time. Yes. So it's a, it's a really cool program. So at that time, which was the same year, they would notice the trailer and sign on the studio to publish Cuphead. With Microsoft backing the game, now they had a real marketing budget. Before, they had just planned on setting out a few tweets, you know, dropping some business cards on some, like, windshields. It's kind of like how we market this podcast. Just like, here's a tweet! <laughs> yeah, actually, Jesse just screams it out the door. He's got a megaphone. He never tweets it. He just writes it, screams it, and then goes about his day. No, but they actually had a budget. And before they, you know, like, they just planned these tweets, planned a couple different pieces of marketing... And they had considered a PR firm, but knew they would never be able to afford it. Microsoft was rather hands-off on this development process as well, which was a huge blessing in disguise for them. Because, again, ID at Xbox and all the stuff behind the scenes really wanted these independents to come out and do what they could. So Microsoft was just saying, listen, we'll help you where we can, but we, we'll be hands-off. Yeah. We'll kind of just back you. Here's $5 in marketing. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, They allowed the studio to take as long as they needed to create this game, which, again, most of your studios that work with publishers, you have a deadline and you usually have a hard deadline. 
yeah, there, there's no budging. Like, release the game as is if you have to. We want our money back. They want their money back. Investors want their money back. Mm-hmm. You know, any parties that are involved want their money back from it. So it's how can we do that? Absolutely. So the deal with Microsoft would have them handling all of the marketing, including the game being shown at E3. The game would officially debut, as we had said, at E3 2014 with everyone's eyes on Cuphead. Every year since, so between 2014 through 2017, the game was shown more and more. With it, fans' excitements would increase exponentially. Yeah, it, it was the, I mean, it was such a hyped game and it yes. delivered. Like, that. that's the such a crazy thing. It's a two-hour game that people waited years on. And it goes to show that when you're creating a... A title that is very different than what you've seen, mm-hmm. that is kind of tongue-in-cheek, hey, you know, we're that, we're that fun, happy cartoon, <laughs> but we're also shooting these down, <laughs> and showing the bosses. And around this time, I believe, too, 2014, I believe, ugh, I may be wrong, was the release of Dark Souls 2. So we're still in that Souls market that's slowly building. Mm-hmm. Oh, hard game? Cool. Yes. And so they were hitting that mark, too. So that's where that audience is coming in instead of getting that gritty real-life feel i guess you would say of dark souls mm-hmm. or this cartoony feel of it. it it's a welcome change and fans were just pumped for something like that mm-hmm. yeah and they did do a few other uh, marketing ploys that were kind of interesting mm-hmm. and even post the game being released so studio mdhr and dark horse comics have teamed up to release a couple of cuphead comics with cuphead volume one comic capers and curios and cuphead volume two cartoon chronicles and calamities who doesn't love good play on words (laughs) and then they also brought cuphead into super smash bros who would be featured as a me fight costume in january of 2020 now let me talk to you who's not a smash bros player this guy over here me you just pointing at me you just said they brought cuphead in no no excuse you they brought a costume i said a costume but they they brought the cuphead name in it's sacrilege (laughs) sacrilege is what i'm going to say here I'm sorry. But I'm sorry. at least at least they did bring it in and, and a notice of it. Mm-hmm. And at least something about the game was included, which is really cool. Not a character. I do want Cuphead in the game. That, that would be awesome. Not as my stupid me I made, but as actual <laughs> Cuphead or, you know, or Mugman skin would be really cool to have as well. Mm-hmm. But with marketing out of the way, the game is released. You have it in your hands or you have it on PC. Maybe you waited later. You got it on PS4 or the Switch. Let's talk about the gameplay of the game as well as the campaign, the overall story itself. Mm-hmm. Now, players must fight a variety of bosses who have different stages as well as make their way through platforming levels. The game is notoriously difficult, as we've mentioned, with some calling it the Dark Souls of 2D platformers. Not Granny Pickens. <laughs> to add to the difficulty, the game cannot be completed on simple difficulty initially. Now, if players want to experience the entire game, they must choose the regular difficulty. This creates a more challenging but ultimately rewarding gameplay experience. Now, players don't have to go through the game alone. The game allows for co-op, with a second player taking over the role of Cuphead's brother, Mugman. You know, mm-hmm. as you had said, Luigi. This doesn't make the game any easier, however, as the game scales the difficulty to match a two-player experience. Because why can't we have anything nice? <laughs> no, it's fantastic. I'm glad that that's in there, and I appreciate games that do that. Whether it's increasing health of enemies, adding mm-hmm. enemies on the screen, changing up. You know how much a boss fires, something like that. It's really yeah. cool that they're able to kind of double program the game to say, if this, then that, based on a single player or co-op 
version of it. Mm -hmm. And players can also choose from a variety of ammo types that they're going to get throughout the game that have different damage output and rate of fire and gives you more options for your play style. Exactly like our Super Nintendo games, talking Contra, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking even like TMNT or any of those those side scrollers that allowed you to pick up different weapons to have to change up, whether it's like, you know, you know, for Contra, machine guns, rocket launchers, fi- flamethrower, things like that. Cuphead mm-hmm. has the same idea going along with it. Yeah, because Cuphead and Mugman, they don't actually have weapons. They just literally have finger guns that mm-hmm. they just... They just fire from, and you just like click, 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 click. Like that's that's the whole noise the entire time. Funny enough, Jesse did that sound for the game. <laughs> he was one of those devs who did click, all. Click, 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 click. Yeah, he did it all. Amazing. <laughs> but to, to give you a breakdown of the full story and why we're having this deal with the devil, we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. So Cuphead and Mugman are two rather mischievous characters who find themselves gambling against the devil himself in his casino. To their dismay, they lose. The devil could easily take their heads for the debt, but proposes a deal. Collect the soul contracts of everyone else who owes the devil, and their debt will be fulfilled. Which makes you wonder why those are the people who are allowed to leave with debts. How did they get away? How did they get away? That's, that's get the question. All, all the bosses are a lot bigger. That is true. It's, I think it's an yeah. intimidation factor. They're just like, get out of there. They're like, you're like half my size. See ya. Yeah. The devil's like, y'all are like the size of my thumb. I could easily take your heads. So these two cut bros, they, they <laughs> say, okay, we'll do it. The pair goes on to fight boss after boss, collecting their contracts while working towards their mortality. Eventually, they make their way back to the casino where King Dice has blocked the way to get to the devil. Once you defeat him, they finally meet back up with the devil. The devil gives them the choice, hand over all the contracts and work for him or perish. If the brothers do hand over the contracts, they will be transformed into his minions. If the brothers decline, they must then battle the devil. And after defeating him, they burn the contracts and go home. Yeah, so the the overall story, it's pretty straightforward. You know, you're going from boss to boss. You're getting these contracts and then you finally meet up. You know, when you when you see King Dice... I think out of like nine bosses, I'll throw like three different ones at you, like mini mm-hmm. bosses. But it's all super interesting, and I love how each boss has its own transformation. Yes. So each boss will have multiple phases. Mm-hmm. So you'll have bosses that start off pretty tame, and mm-hmm. then as you start to do more damage, whether it's quarter, half, three-quarter damage, they can change in phase shift, and that fully changes their attacks up fully changes how you can do damage to them. Mm -hmm. And it gives a cool variety as you go through. And there's plenty of different variety in the game. Absolutely. You know, you've got the veggie boss. Uh, the 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 root pack, which I love, is a play on the rat pack. Like I love they they do a lot of play on words as well, which I love. I love that charm so much. And that's what really makes it work. Because yeah, I mean you've got the rat pack Sorry, excuse me, the Root Pack. The Root Pack. The Rat Pack uh, were trying to be there, but they weren't. You have Rumor Honeybottoms, who is this bee who you can eventually fight in the air, and she mm-hmm. transforms and summons a bunch of little little beelings. It's, it's awesome. Blings, blings, some might say. <laughs> uh, Cagney Carnation, which is that happy flower that I think everyone's mm. seen. That's kind of the, 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 bo- the boss you mm. always see. And, and you know, Grim Matchstick as well. I think the, the those two bosses it's, it's stick like the, out. It's like that Disney dragon kind of mm-hmm. look to it. Yeah. Another one that I, I actually really love and I think kind of sticks with me is uh, Hilda Berg. And mm-hmm. Hilda Berg is that one who kind of Betty Boopish. And she's yes. flying and eventually turns into like a creepy bird thing in like one of her phases. Yeah. 
which is fantastic. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the bosses in this, again, take a lot of liberties from the cartoons they watched. Mm-hmm. Some weren't, like I said, they weren't direct ports over, but took the essence of the character, redesigned it for Cuphead, mm-hmm. and brought them in. And dude, they're all so unique. They're all so unique and interesting. Yeah, and, and one thing that, unfortunately, as we're going to talk with Cut Material... There were some bosses that didn't make it. There was a lot of bosses that we that we know about, mm-hmm. which we might see in this DLC that's supposed to come out, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. in Cuphead fashion is announced and then delayed ten times. <laughs> uh, but of course, I am talking about the DLC, the Delicious Last Course, announced in July of 2018. The Delicious Last Course will feature new bosses, levels, and a new playable character, Ms. Chalice, who has new abilities. With this DLC, the studio is more accustomed to developing a game now, and the overall process for creating the DLC is a lot smoother. But they would delay the release of it from 2019 to 2020 in order to avoid a crunch, which I appreciate. Yes. But in November of 2020, it was announced that the DLC would once again be delayed to 2021 due to COVID-19 and the worldwide pandemic. So don't hold your breath. It'll happen when it happens. I'm Mm -hmm. sure it will be worth it. I I guarantee it. And again, both of those are very reasonable reasons to push it back. I appreciate, Mm -hmm. especially studios looking at crunch time and saying, listen, it'll come when it comes. And this is a series... Very much, uh, uh, to me, like an Undertale crowd that is staying staying religiously with the game, Mm -hmm. appreciates it, and will kind of eat up anything that comes their way. Absolutely. So I I think when fans get this and the new abilities, the new bosses, which as we're getting to cut materials now, we may see. We may not see, so so don't hold your breath on some of these, but these may be ones that we have transitioning over. And it's so bizarre because we don't know a lot about why these bosses were cut. Like sometimes we saw sketches in a video... And some of them were at demos or in trailers, and then final release of the game, they're gone. And it may be variety. It may have been, like, we need variety in the levels, and this may be too similar to said boss. Mm -hmm. Or we don't need this style of background again, whether it's, like, a water one or a desert one. That may be it. Mm -hmm. And we may get an explanation when the DLC comes out. But as of right now, it's just kind of... They hit the chopping block, and that was that. Absolutely. But let's start with some of the cut material. So Grim Matchstick, you know, that Disney dragon we talked about, he was going to become a, a like a music dragon and would spit out musical notes. And so things were going to start getting – the rhythms of the gameplay were going to match with the music. Yeah, so very much like the Dance of the Necromancer game. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever heard of that. Uh, another, Sounds sweet. It's amazing. It's it's a uh, indie title that like every step you take is with a beat. And so mm. like you fight with the beat. So it oh, would have it, awesome. it's pretty cool. Is it like like techno gothic rave music? Uh, it, it kind of can be, and they actually did a Legend of Zelda patch with it. So there's a Zelda skin. You can like fight Zelda stuff. So okay, they have a whole that's new awesome. I'll have to show it to you. <laughs> so so yes, kind of like that. Like on the beat, you know, the notes would jump mm. up dun, dun, or go dun, along dun. with yeah. it. Yeah. Not that actual song. I just ad-libbed that music, just so you all know. That's pretty good. Ooh, that might be. I think Jesse's revealed some DLC music he's doing. <laughs> but and I know as well as with with cut concepts, you know, Platehead, Forkhead, and Hammerhead were kind of big contenders for Cuphead. That's mm-hmm. what they were going with. Platehead, I guess. I don't know if that would just. I don't, I don't know. Uh, saucer, saucer, saucer sued. Saucer salami. I don't. I don't know. Yes, saucer, saucer salami. <laughs> All right, uh, so Jesse has now agreed he will do fan art of Saucy Salami. 
Uh, all right, I'll do it. If you join our Discord, link in the bio, I will put it in there under, uh, let's say, the podcast channel. Fantastic. Can't wait. But we also had, uh, as I said, these these bosses that were cut is we had the bat boss, you know, the octopus, jellyfish boss, the spider boss, patchy, patchy boss. And uh, was that, the, Did it show anything about the patchy patch? Was that like a scarecrow-y kind of boss? Or is that... He was a robot, essentially, and I think okay. Patchy Patchy was the name of him. So he was like this ah, okay. 19, I would say more like 1940s or 50s style robot, and maybe that's why it was cut. Yeah, maybe later, like like kind of like uh, uh, post-war era stuff mm-hmm. type things. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But we also had the card boss that was going to be part of that King Dice fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was going to be, I don't know what the transformations would have been, but it would have been a, like a King of Diamonds or something sure. that... Who knows what it would have transformed into. But also we had the Radish and Betty Beat boss that were probably going to be part of the root pack. Mm-hmm. And Betty Beat, Betty Boop, I, I'm pretty sure people have speculated, is throwing her own Beat children at you. So when she throws, she's like crying. So everyone's like, that's a little morbid. But next we had the Toast boss. So this this would have involved Toast that eventually transformed into a toaster. I'm down for that. If we don't get Toast boss... I'm writing. <laughs> but the Sally boss fight would have been different. So instead of a second phase having Sally marry her husband, he actually would have died. And in the background, it would have shifted to a nunnery where nuns would throw rulers at Cuphead. Oh. <laughs> a different phase of the battle would have had the husband returning as a deity throwing grapes at Cuphead. I'm down for all that. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. And and then finally, we have two levels that were cut. There was going to be a water level. So which is probably why we lose the octopus jellyfish mm-hmm. boss. Yeah, because I know we do have... You know, a, a water-based boss battle, but that's air combat. Yes, above, um, above it. And finally, there would have been the coin-op bop level. This level would have been reminiscent of classic arcade games, with certain areas reflecting games like Frogger and Space Invader. Now, there was speculation that part of this level would have had Cupman and Mugman playing an arcade cabinet of themselves. Oh, cool. So I think the screen would have been like a little smaller and you see Cuphead and, and Mugman controlling stuff. It. Yeah. But I mean, maybe if we ever get a sequel or maybe it'll be in that DLC. I'd be very interested in it because that type of stuff, when you, you kind of break the fourth wall idea of it or, you know, almost like a handshake deal. I love those things. Where like if you beat it, the person actually is like, I was the boss. You, you beat it. Good job. Mm-hmm. You just like yeah. sh- shake their hand and leave. Yeah. Stuff like that would have been interesting. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I find actually really interesting and we're potentially going to see, you know, there's speculation right now, you know, about a lot of different game movies that might be coming out, might be canceled. Mm -hmm. One of those being a TV series for Cuphead. Yeah. And during IGN's Unfiltered podcast, Ryan McCaffrey jokingly stated that Netflix needed to make a 12 episode run of Cuphead with Jared Moldenhauer expressing he was actually open to that idea. It would not take long for Netflix to start work on the Cuphead show. It all started when Studio MDHR's licensing partners, King Features, called them to see if they were interested in a Netflix adaptation of their debut game. Jared and Chad first thought they were just joking with them and saying like, hey, you know, it'd be cool a Netflix show. They're like, sure. Okay. Yeah. Good one, guys. Now, how about you do your job? And they're like, <laughs> What? Yeah, where, where are we going to get some cool merchandise things? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Studio MDHR co-founders Chad and Jared Moldenhauer are executive producers for the show and have expressed that they want to stay away from computer-assisted animations. It seems that some of the show is in fact being designed and animated on computers, 
but not really known how much as of right mm. now. Because they there's some there's like a trailer out there, like a small one, and there is some like clips that they released and they showed some behind the scenes. So mm. it's we don't know the full extent. We don't know a lot about this. It's just currently in development and keep it on your radar. Yeah, well, because as of 2021, the show is obviously still in development with only a few clips being released, as Jesse had said. So we'll see what it comes about. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully we get some news sooner rather than later. But obviously with the year that 2020 was, everything is up in the air for pretty much anything creatively. Yeah. And what's interesting is Disney has even called the studio, uh, MDHR, mm-hmm. to touch base with them and keep the line open in case the brothers ever wanted to work with Disney. So that's, I mean, still pretty incredible that this indie game, Disney's like, if you ever want to do anything, just, uh, you know, text us or something. Just text us. Oh, (laughs) those claws of ours sinking over you? Don't worry about that. (laughs) Don't worry about us just sucking you in and conglomerating you. Don't don't worry. Luckily, I'm sure that they they still have a lot of creative control. I said they're executive producers of Mm -hmm. the Netflix adaptation. So, I I mean, I have no idea what that show would be about. Is it going to be a kid's show or is it going to be like a dark humor show? Almost like a Happy Tree Friends kind of weird yeah, craziness or, to or it. or like Rin and Stimpy, stuff like that. Like, I, I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see because I'd probably watch either version. I'm assuming they'll take like – they'll take the game. They'll, they'll kind of do what they're doing, I assume. Hopefully, yeah. Keep it 30s. Again, less to no racism would be very good. Yeah, preferable. <laughs> preferable, which I'm assuming they might – Take that idea of that cartoon idea, maybe a, a Cuphead Mugman life, mm-hmm. fighting these bosses, but then they become friends. Who knows? Who even knows? But what we do know is information about the music itself in the game. Mm-hmm. Now, the Cuphead original soundtrack was composed by Chris Madigan, a Canadian composer and principal percussionist of the National Ballet of Canada and Orchestra. He regularly performs with many groups, including the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, the Thunder Bay Symphony, and numerous other jazz, theater, and new music groups around Canada. Growing up, Madigan was childhood friends with Chad and Jared Moldenhauer. Originally, the Moldenhauers asked Madigan for eight tracks for the video game late in summer of 2013, to which Madigan said in an interview with Bandcamp, quote, I promptly and eagerly said, no thanks. Mm -hmm. However, the Moldenhauers were persistent and Madigan was eventually persuaded otherwise. Madigan felt eight tracks was totally manageable as a first time video game composer because he had never done anything like this before. No. However, as the scope of the game grew, the need for more music became paramount. So, yeah, all of a sudden they're like, we need like 27. He's like, what? We need a we need a bit more. And and. When approaching the style of the game, Madigan said during an interview with The World, quote, I really wanted to approach it as if the golden age of big band and golden age of video games maybe coexisted simultaneously. How would a big band composer write for that? See, actually, a note here. I believe Madigan actually left and Jesse did all the percussion (laughs) by himself. (laughs) When there were some technical challenges like learning the rules of barbershop music, the most difficult part about writing the soundtrack for Madigan was trying to take the 30s era big band and ragtime styles and trying to do something new with them. A tough feat considering their musical cliches and devices. Touches of Latin and silent film music are also represented, which you can clearly hear absolutely in the boss battles and just the overworlds. It's done really well, Mm -hmm. and every track within the game was recorded live. 
Except for a few instruments that were MIDI, such as the theremin, most of the percussion was played by Madigan himself, partnered by Jesse. (laughs) He wanted the music to have a sound reminiscent of a live concert with the American photo player. And for those of us who, you know, are not some of our note writers uh, who need to look up what an American photo player is, not us, Jesse and I 100% knew this before (laughs) we started doing notes, but that is a player piano that was specifically developed for sound effects and music for those silent movies. Mm. So to break that down, using a lot more of the instruments at the time that were specialized for commercial use in cinema, in production, and anything that had to be created back then. Mm -hmm. Multiple improvisational solos were recorded specifically for the boss fights. So when the player dies, they come back and hear a different rendition of the music with a new soloist, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Again, a very minute detail. Yeah, like something that you didn't have to do, but like, oh, this is actually very interesting. And especially being a game where you're going to die a lot on your first playthrough. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I, I'm, I'm a per- perfectionist. I, don't, I never <laughs> die. But, but when you do die, you know, having that, it also spices the game up. So mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you are fighting a boss a couple times, you're not hearing like, do-do-do-do-do-do, like type stuff over and over yeah, and over. Yeah. It changes. It's still the same music but a different soloist takes it over, changing up what you're hearing. Absolutely. The music was recorded with an almost 40-piece ensemble at the Canterbury Music Company in Toronto, Canada. Madigan wanted the music to sound old and reminiscent of the 30s, so vintage microphones were used as well as some techniques that were popular at the time for recording and mixing. Which is absolutely... I love that detail. I love that detail. It's genius. I love it. Now, the Cuphead original soundtrack was released on September 29th, 2017 for digital download. It contains 56 tracks for a total of nearly three hours of music. In late 2019, I Am 8-Bit released a $100 four-piece vinyl deluxe version of the soundtrack, which sold out almost immediately. I know. Do you own it? No. (laughs) This was probably due to the fact that the soundtrack had just landed at number one on the Billboard Jazz charts, the first time a video game soundtrack had done so. Additionally, Madigan later released official sheet music ranging in difficulty so both high school jazz bands and professional groups could play some of the most popular tunes. This also allowed for the game's promotion as the band that recorded the music was able to travel and perform. This is awesome. Such a cool idea. Yes. You know, these indie studios, because as we talked about with the Xbox release of you know the behind the scenes, the commentary, the music for free... Doing this just brings you more attention. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, you could have charged for the sheet music and been like, hey, high school jazz kids, for 15 bucks, you get mm-hmm. these songs. But releasing it out there and allowing people to get into the music, play Cuphead, keep pushing its name out there and its music and its mm-hmm. footprint, mm-hmm. it helps so much. And again, uh, Alex's uh, vinyl collection is zero for whatever we are this far. <laughs> I have looked this up because I've been on... As we've been recording more of these, I've been on the hunt. Yeah, every time I, they get brought, brought up, you're like, hmm. I have 17 websites to look at <laughs> and see like what releases are come out. I just bought five of them. So I have some coming in, which I'm awesome. very excited about. But we'll see. But sadly, I'm at a loss, but you guys aren't. Because let's talk about the release versions that you mm-hmm. can get kind of anywhere. Mm-hmm. We have the Xbox One. So you have the physical version of the game. does not come with a disc, rather a download code on the receipt and an art cell. Yeah, everyone was kind of like, what? Because this this was also the weird era when were we going to go fully digital? Yeah, or not? were we yeah. getting were we getting discs? Were we not? 
You had a PC release, Mac release, the Nintendo Switch release, the PS4 release, and of course, have to have a Tesla release. Mm-hmm. My boss has it on his Tesla. It's very yeah. interesting. Yeah. So if, if you're uh, if you're raging on the road, you're also raging in Cuphead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And now we finally have the general reception and reaction of this game. What kind of legacy did it leave or is continuing to leave? Because it's not that old of a game, really. Mm-hmm. We're going to start this out with a quote from Chad Moldenhauer. We're strong believers in that if you have a little bit of business sense and you pour your hearts into a project and only focus on it, we hope that at least a fraction of success should follow. When we set out to make Cuphead, our main dream was to earn enough money to make another game. Y'all can make a few extra games as well at this point. Yeah, it's it, it has. And it's right. You know, mm-hmm. in creatively, business sense, if, if you pour everything into it. I mean, they, they did. 33 hours straight, you mm-hmm. know, working day and night, more, remortgaging. It's, it is a leap you have to take, but sometimes it's worth it. Yeah, because it only took two weeks to sell one million copies of the game. And by 2018, it sold over three million copies. And in 2019, it passed the five million copies sold threshold. Unfortunately, the game did not sell 480 million copies like the Moldenhauer's father had predicted. Exactly. Let me correct you. It has not. Not it did not. It has not. <laughs> yeah, it because, has not. Because, listen, we're taking this to the moon. <laughs> we're going to buy, just buy copies and copies. So everyone out there, buy a million copies. Yeah, to the moon. To Let's the moon. do it. <laughs> Believe it or not, the Moldenhauer brothers were not so much celebrating sales of the game as much as they were waiting for things like speed runs to come out from the game, which the current record is held by Italian runner SBD Wolf with a time of 23 minutes and 16 seconds, which I love that mentality. They're like, no, like, yeah, cool sales. Let's see how people cheese our game. And that's what that, but see, that's such a cool thing, too, because, you know, with them, they're like, this is a hard game. How fast can people get through it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have in your speed running terms, you have any percents, 100 uh, percents, which are different uh, run qualities, like fully finishing the game or just beating to the end, no matter what else you beat. Mm hmm. Really cool to see that and to have – if you want to check out any of these, there's on a Speedrunner's archive. You can see who's winning, yeah. who has official records. I love speedruns. It's one of my favorite things to do. One, I get to see a game I either suck at or won't play, but I get to see it really quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just just the effort and the practice and the dedication that goes into these is amazing. Mm-hmm. And usually when I watch them, they're raising some fat cash for charity. Exactly. So I'm there for it. Not only did the game earn an 88 out of 100 on Metacritic, it also won countless Game of the Year awards, along with Best Independent Game, Best Debut Indie Game, and Best Art Direction Game from the Game Awards in L.A. The morning after winning all these awards, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, would congratulate them via Twitter. Which is awesome because again now That's like cool. yeah yeah it's just like hey congratulations representing uh representing the old country with this badass game going back to the fund you know mm-hmm. receiving like the grant and stuff like that they they pride themselves on pushing that Canadian ideal and knowing that this is made in Canada so having Trudeau come out with that is really cool and I mean that's got to be just such a you know I know that they weren't worried about numbers more speed runs but you know maybe what they should do thought for you guys out there Cuphead. Do a presidential Twitter thank or prime minister Twitter thank speedrun. <laughs> How fast can you get one? Now, the game was awarded Guinness World Records most hand-drawn frames of animation in a video game production, 
They also won most boss battles in a run-and-gun game and most boss transformations in a run-and-gun game, a record previously held by Contra Hardcore. See? They knew they were going for Contra. You gotta take them down. Passing the torch. Passing the torch. The game was extremely loved by fans, even before it was ever released. Several fans had gotten Cuphead tattoos as early as 2014. And that teaser was not long. New fans have also decided to take Cuphead into their own hands, fans' hands, with Reddit user Zubeda creating an arcade cabinet that plays Cuphead. Even Jared and Chad have expressed that it is their dream to port the game to the Sega Master System, since, according to them, they have played almost 90% of all pre-Dreamcast Sega titles. Which is a fad that is going around doing old cartridges of these styles of games and like oh, awesome. low-resing them. That's like releasing this podcast on like cassette tape. Or vinyl if anybody wants to press <laughs> us. Or my dream, really honest with this, is to get us on AM radio and have just like bad signal, those fat wavelengths. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> yep. A few months after the game was released, journalist Yusef Cole would write an article about how Studio MDHR used an art style heavily associated with racist depictions of people of color around the 1930s, and how the game itself is still rooted to those racist archetypes using an art style that was created as those racist caricatures. But in 2019, journalist Ian Miles Chong would write a counter-article, stating that the game is not racist at all, rather it's progressive, and it is unfair to condemn the game simply for its references. You know, trying to state that, yes, what was deeply rooted in that was racist tones, was caricatures, was mm-hmm. things that, you know, put down people of color, of ethnicity, of religion. Mm-hmm. It is there. I mean, it's it's a thing you have to note. But they're taking that art style and fully flopping it. Yes. And reinventing it and almost repossessing it to be an art style we can appreciate that doesn't have those tones with it. Yeah, absolutely. And so kind of whichever way you swing with that, you know, I appreciate there is an article for both sides because it needs to have a discussion. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be brought to light and educate people. Yeah, and to have that education so that you can inform yourself on how and where things have come from and how they can be adapted today. Mm-hmm. Studio MDHR has stated multiple times that they simply use the art style because they liked it and weeded out any racial stereotypes. Absolutely. In 2019, Zixu or Zizo Game Studio would come under some heat when launching a Kickstarter for their game Enchanted Portals, a 2D running gunner title with a 1930s era art style. The story revolves around a brother and sister who, while practicing magic, open a portal to distant lands, fighting bosses with many transformations. Many have been quick to label the game as a blatant ripoff of Cuphead, while others look at it as a game heavily inspired by it. It is currently in development, and only time will tell whether or not it can live up to the Cuphead standard. You're going to start seeing this. Absolutely. And and it's not obviously not hand animated, but it's still very much so. It's it's Cuphead with different skins. I mean, look at what DayZ and PUBG were, and then mm-hmm. Fortnite goes, I like that, and took the exact same concept, but changed a little bit of the art style and what they do with it. So... You know, it's it's almost its own era of game. It's the same thing that happened in Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. You have other fantasy games that have come out that do an intense or tough boss fight and epic fantasy. Yeah. So it's it's kind of its own niche market. Yeah, and I've tried to find... I can't find any comments of Studio MDHR saying one thing or another. They're probably just like, all right, they're doing that. Whether or not they're upset by it, they don't need to comment. I think, if anything, it just brings more light to Cuphead. Yeah. So I think they just do it. 
Yeah, yeah, and even even the the studio could say, yeah, this is heavily inspired by Cuphead. We because there's nothing wrong with saying I want to do my version of that. Mm-hmm. I think I would like if it was a different setting, different you know character stuff like that. I think that's perfectly okay. Yeah, and, and like you said, time will tell with what we're going to see from it if we're going to see from it from this Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. After the game was finished, the team could finally start living semi-normal lives again. It is clear that they would not be stepping away from video game development anytime soon. But for now, they do have weekends off, you know, and who knows, even if the current climate of their their production that they're working a little bit more, hopefully not crunching more Mm -hmm. for this new DLC. Hopefully they are taking those weekends off. That's what I'm saying. Cuphead's design, gameplay and difficulty are anything but simple, but the game as a whole was fresh, new and creative. Even with the original four-second teaser, the world was sold. It is a game that is loved by millions, ranging all ages. Though the overall tone of the game is dark, one cannot help but smile and express excitement over the art style. The game was based around cartoons that were created simply to make people laugh and bring them joy, and Cuphead does the same thing, minus the occasional rage quit. It is also hard not to be inspired by the story of the Moldenhauers, and their nearly seven-year journey to bring Cuphead to life. The game is nothing short of a love letter to Chad and Jared's childhood, a game they wanted to play and the world they wanted to create. As of right now, there will supposedly be two Cuphead sequels releasing in the future. So again, only time will tell, but we are definitely hoping to see something like that. Uh, You know, whether it comes in show form, whether Mm. it comes in the actual sequel form of the games, you know, I, I think... It stands on its own two cartoony, wobbly, rubber hosey legs. <laughs> but as always, this is now where we sit down and kind of tell you why we chose this game. Why is it that we put Cuphead on our list of games we needed to cover, we needed to tell you about, and why is this story so important? You mm-hmm. know, really. So, Alex, as always, please start us off. Being. I think what everyone would call me, you know, an indie game expert. I think everyone mutters that as they pass me. <laughs> uh, it's on your business cards. Uh, it is. Actually, it just says indie game expert. My name is very small on the side. <laughs> no, I, I really enjoy indie games. And I really enjoy, you know, these these kind of fighting tooth and nails to get your passion project out there, mm-hmm. to never quit, to do what you have to do. And that is one thing. And that's really one of the things I love looking at these indie games. I love looking at the pioneers of Meat Boy, of Braid, you know, that can take these ideas and sacrifice sacrifice their life, basically. Sacrifice a lot of what they have mm-hmm. to open the door for these people. To open the door for indie gaming and bring it to light. Bring it to the threshold. Bring it to the front, the forefront. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciate that. Not only that, I mean, you've taken what is a really cool concept that technically has been done over and over of the running gun. You know, mm-hmm. they, they played it as kids. It's It's been around. Metal Slug, Contra, stuff like that. But to take it, I wouldn't even call it reskin it. You've redone it. You've, you've flipped it on its head. You've created this amazing art style that's, that's you know, based in history. But have combined so many of these cool mediums together of the difficulty, of the art, of the run and gun pew-pews. What's cool is, like, recreate their childhood in their own way. Yeah, exactly. It's a representation, as we had said, a game they wanted to make and it's it, it's essentially like you know you take the style like the genre of game you like the most and 20 years later decide you're gonna put a modern twist on it 
but yet dial back how it looks or what art style it represents. Like I think mm-hmm. the 1930s art style was was such a, a genius move. And again, you know, we've seen these controversies with the game, which is totally understandable. And Studio MDHR did the right thing in separating, you know, the art from the artists back yes. in the day and, and putting their own perspective on it and their own spin and saying, listen, we're, we're, we're taking all the racism out. So this is kind of this this goofy, silly art style that you get. You know, this game is extremely difficult. I, I was never truly able to finish it. I, you know, maybe got halfway through. It's just too many rage quits for me. But overall, this game is so cool. And yeah, the first time I ever saw the trailer, I was like, what? is this and you start you know i think a lot of people knew that they hand animated it you're like okay they animated that's pretty cool then you kind of pull back the curtain and you realize they hand animated every Mm -hmm. single thing the 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 fifty thousand different uh, animations or uh frames done and just seeing like you watch a video and they just have just totes of of the original sketches and there's like "Eh, there's some here there's some like it's just like because that's 50,000 pages. It's amazing. And, and watching videos of them actually hand animating it and and having Maya come in basically just kind of noodle with animation and then taking over and then becoming a producer. And like I said, again, running this project, being a mom, mm-hmm. working full time with this and keeping them boys, keeping them boys at work. <laughs> them boys. But it's also cool seeing that they finally, you know, they had their lives, but they wanted something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they said we're, I, I, they knew. I think that they were destined for something greater. Whether or not that meant making an indie game that sold ten copies, I you know, or sold enough for them to make another game. They they knew they wanted something more. They were capable of something more, yep. and that's what we got. We got Cuphead. So if if I have to rate this game, because I got it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I gotta. I'm gonna go with about. Seven, seven and a half. And most of that's for the art style and not so much for the gameplay because I'm horrible at it. I don't, I still don't understand your rating. Is your rating based on if you like it or if it's a good game? A little bit of both. It is a good game by default. Like most, most of these games we cover are good. But my rating, I got to give a seven, seven and a half. Interesting. I'll never try to understand your rating, but I'd love to Mine hear your rating. Mine makes a lot rating. of sense. Mine is the only one that makes sense in this whole thing. <laughs> well, well, then give us your rating. Oh, my God. Okay, so if, it, if we have to start about this, and we're talking about cups and mugs, I'd probably bring you know up Steins. Um, <laughs> add the Steins to the mix. Um, you can't forget about your Snifter or your, your Schooner. Yes. Yes. I mean, obviously, you're going to have a large glass of beer. You're going to have a Schooner. Of course. Duh. Yes, that's how I drink my beer. Obviously. But don't forget. Don't forget. You got to class it up with a chalice. You got to make sure that that's there. Mm-hmm. You, you can't not have that. They, mm-hmm. they knew it. They know it. You can't not have it. Um, but then when you're feeling fancy, uh, obviously, I don't. So minus, <laughs> minus, minus flute. Minus flute out of that. But honestly, what we're really talking about, what we're honestly talking about, is make sure that you always have a tankard and a tumbler. Okay. Okay. So I think that's going to be the next game. Is instead of what? like Cuphead Mugman, it's going to be Tanker and Tumbler. <laughs> <laughs> and that is out of how you should drink your things. And Cupman out of Cuphead? No, out of how you should drink your things. Okay. Oh, I don't understand. I guess we're, I guess we're missing the page here on how we rate these games. <laughs> your rating is way off base. Mine is clearly down the line. I'm, again, I'm still waiting. I, I'm really wanting people to actually kind of assign numerical values to Alex's rating so I know them. 
I, I just think, honestly, we need a new host over here. <laughs> this is clear to me. It's clear to everybody in the audience we've talked about. Uh, of course. We, we have a rating system that uh, this is universal, honestly. I don't know, <laughs> I know it, but it is there. All right. Well, that was, you know, debate aside, that was Cuphead. Research was done by Jesse Reiners, Evan Barr, and Richard Scanlon. Cover art was done by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson, and music written and composed by Evan Barr. And as always, I will say it every time, because they obviously don't appreciate how I how I do this, how I do my thing. Uh, those people are great. I appreciate them. They are bringing this to you today. I'm here to tell you about the people who actually matter, and that is our patrons. So as we always say, we have a Patreon, where Jesse and I do a bonus show called From the Bargain Bin, where we play some games from our childhood, plus some Garbo that we find and force each other to play and review, but also give you a little background on. Mm-hmm. We also have exclusive t-shirts, posters, stickers, Post shows, uh, game nights, all this other fun stuff with it. So if you want to check it out, check it out over at patreon.com slash finish the fight. And I will thank those today. And we have Charles Zitter, Tactics, Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Chuff, Cowan Fong Feliciano, DGamer1298, Alex Harper, Dilfix, Nick Hyman, Brandon Christian, Richard Scanlon, Mick Chief, Big Papa Semechki, Grant ODST, Loki 2014, Nathan Vandevort, Climbing Spork, Mr. 1898, William Krull, and Cameron Collier or Collier. Thank you all so much for the support. We truly appreciate it. And that is what is keeping this podcast a going. Yep. And if you have any questions about the Patreon, be sure to shoot us a message on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And as well, you can join our Discord. Uh, all the links for these are in the bio. Be sure as well to give us a like or follow on any of those social channels. And on my part, finally, we'll be doing some of this. I think I'm going to get you. I'm going to make you do it. We're going to be doing... Some Cuphead two-player co-op. Oh, man. We're going to get it going. And you can check that out over at twitch.tv slash sourman70. That is S-O-U-R-M-A-N-7-0. We'll be playing through some of your favorite podcast games as well as a couple long series plus mm-hmm. a couple little special special fun ones. Yep. And be sure to give us a start and written review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. But wrapping this all up, that was our coverage of Cuphead. Do you like Cuphead? Do you dislike Cuphead? Do you agree with my rating system or Alex's rating system? Do you think Jesse is a liar and rating it so low, or do you think cups are cool? <laughs> with that, I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Mm-hmm.